invite you to open your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 5. Well, this late morning, we will continue to address the fifth chapter here in Ephesians. As we recognize this morning, uh, chapters 4 and 5 turns our attention from the doctrine of 1 through 3 to now devotion in chapters 4, 5, and 6. And in this, we are pointed to the earthly reality of the exalted Christ, that Christ, though ascended on high in the flesh, rules now in his church by the Spirit. And so this earthly reality was hinted at in chapter 2, when Paul said that the new humanity being created in Christ, in whom the whole body, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Again, he progresses the analogy with reference not only to being the temple of God, but to Christ's very body, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And in chapter 4, verse 15, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is, in, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of, up of itself in love. And as we recognized also that this metaphor is extended again here in our passage as the Spirit of God adds the analogy of light to the picture of the new creature in Christ. Follow along as I read for us Ephesians 5 beginning in verse 8. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us ask him for help again this morning. O oh Lord, we come before you again this morning. We give you praise for the day that you've set apart for your special worship. And as we engage in that, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would bind our hearts to yours. We may long for the day when this comes in endless form and comes without the hindrance of sin and weakness. Lord, we pray that you would come quickly. Until then, Lord, continue to build us up according to your purposes and by your word in your spirit. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, this morning we examine the works of darkness as well as the wages of darkness and sought to understand some of the weapons against the darkness. And there is a certain anticipation in what we read this morning in verses 3 through 7 where there was this building idea of 
of condemnation against immorality and impurity and greed, filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. And we may come to a conclusion that uh, the answer in response to that would be to create uh, some sort of pietistic list of rules to follow so that we may not transgress against such things. But I really appreciate this comment from Brian Chappell as it relates to this idea, and I think it makes a good introduction this morning. He writes, what many will not want and fear in light of Paul's warnings, excuse me, what many will now want and fear in light of Paul's warnings is some standard measurement of the amount of skin the number or kind of profanities, or the plot categories that will make it clear which entertainments are acceptable and which unacceptable. We may also want to know the maximum amount of personal spending that is allowed before it qualifies as greed. And then he says, such rules for all times and places, of course, cannot be constructed. So after having learned of these works and wages of darkness, we may want a list of rules, as I said, to avoid them. But instead of uh, particular pharisaical type laws so that we, dis- we may display our piety, we find exhortations to walk as children of light. And it's not because God doesn't care about the details of our lives but that we would be sure to live with the proper motivation and foundation first. So this morning, we turn our attention to walking as children of light. We're going to do this under three headings again, the foundation of the light, the fruit of the light, and the focus of the light. I once heard a message based on the idea of light. It actually was, uh, I believe, a Christmas Eve service. I was traveling with my family, and uh, we were invited to um, a church, and so we uh, accepted the invitation, and the pastor was speaking on the passage that says, God is light. And so we had a lot of analogies and a lot of illustrations, uh, how the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And he chose every illustration relating to light. He even likened Jesus to a flashlight, something to be taken out to display, displace the darkness. Unfortunately, it was woefully lacking in explaining what the light and darkness portrayed. So we left it up to the hearer to contextualize what the darkness was in their life that they wanted to bring light to, and what light would actually move to display or displace that doctrine, or excuse me, that darkness. But we find in Scripture uh, a better word, for as we learned this morning, the darkness has a real uh, contextual meaning. It has a real uh, evil relating to this. And so... We must understand this morning the idea of how the Bible addresses light and darkness. And so if we look at it as it relates to the foundation of light and this idea that we are to walk as children of light, what does this mean that we are to walk as children of light? Well, time would not permit me to do a full biblical theology of light, but I intend to take a short survey of this biblical theme. Light and darkness are biblical themes from the very beginning. 
We recognize that in the creation account, we find darkness being present and covering the surface of the deep where light, or excuse me, where life had yet existed. First, exposing the idea that dark, that darkness implies that there's a lack of order and death. And we see this in the first creation. And then God brings light to cast away the darkness, to bring order and life to the day. And so we read in James' letter also that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. And it was after the fall that it carried now this reality of the difference between wickedness and righteousness. That this is the theme that Paul carries on in Ephesians chapter 5. But first turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm 82. Beginning in verse 4. It reads, rescue the weak and needy. Deliver, Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. We have this idea in Psalm 82 that the wicked walk around in darkness. And then turn backwards to Psalm 27. first two verses read, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Here we see that the source of light is the Lord, for the Lord is my light. And the enemies stumble around as if they were in Darkness. Proverbs is also instructive for us this morning as we examine this theme in Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 18 reads, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so like the light of dawn, uh, we are to walk as children of light. And finally, a few passages out of Isaiah's gospel. Beginning in verse 5. Or excuse me, chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. And so we see that there is a judgment against those who live in darkness. And here, a few pages later, a few chapters later in verse 9, We read in verse 2 
that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Those there's, though there's judgment against those who live in darkness, there's also hope for those who live in darkness, that they may see a great light. And this continues to build as we turn to Isaiah chapter 60. We see in verses 1 through 3, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, a deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and the kings of the brightness of your rising. And then if you fall down to verse 19... It reads, no longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light, but you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and the days of your morning will be over. And so we see here that we have the beginning of the renewal with the first advent of Christ. And then in 19, the consummation of it at the Lord's second coming. And so it's with glorious praise that we read in the prologue to John's gospel that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. And then in verse 9, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so we recognize that the foundation of this light, if we are to be children of light, If we would be considered or walk as children of light, we must recognize that the foundation of the light is the same God who spoke the sun into existence and gave it light so that it would bring forth its light this morning. It's the same God, the one who has spoken into our darkness and brought forth such a glorious light that we are now considered to be children of light. And we see that as we are children of light there in verse 8, that there is a fruit of the light. Verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. This idea that uh, we continue to live in this dark age, though we act or though we are now children of light, is such that we are not to presume upon our difference, that we are to view ourselves as above, that we're not to view ourselves as above the fray. 
We are to remember that we remain within this drama of sin and salvation. Prudence demands that we be self-aware enough to avoid walking wayward paths whereby we might fall into temptation or journeying in such places that we would bring contempt on Christ's name so that we would uh, produce fruit of the light. This idea of fruit of the light as it relates to uh, the foundation of the light being God himself. And so the fruit of the light is likened also to the fruit of the Spirit. And it reminds me of the first few verses of Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. And we recognize that that psalm is is messianic in its application, that it is Christ Jesus who is the blessed man. It is Christ Jesus who is the tree of life whom we have access to, who yields its fruit in its season who never wanes and never withers, and in whatever he does, he prospers. And yet it is through Christ and his death and resurrection and faith in him that we have access to this tree, and so we may also bear fruit of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Thomas Boston reminds us that light in religion without heat and warmth is so unlike heaven that it will issue in utter darkness where there is a scorching heat without light. This idea that there can be light, there can be a form of light without warmth or heat and warmth, that this goodness and righteousness and truth, the fruit of the light, are like the warmth of light. It's much like the difference between taking a flashlight in a darkened room and shining it in your face or in somebody else's face. It's a harsh light. It it causes us to to close our eyes, to even be blinded for a moment as it's flooded with this light. But take that same darkened room and light a fire, safely so in the corner, receive the light from its flame, but also receive the heat and warmth and comfort provided by it. This is the fruit of light. This is the righteousness and truth. This is what is produced by the Spirit of God in the children of light. This is the foundation of the light is God. The fruit of the light is produced by the Spirit of God. And so it helps us to understand the focus of this light. That as we are children of light, we are to shine light And it's to be focused, it's supposed to be uh, shined with a focused sense. This idea that in verse uh, 10, that we are trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. The person who does what God says with a resentful heart and begrudging obedience does not bear the mark of the true child of light. For now you were once enemies of God, children of wrath, sons of disobedience. 
You have now been made friends of God, children of light, sons and daughters of righteousness, such that our obedience should not be begrudging or resentful of heart, but should be given and proceed out of a heart of gratitude, as we talked about this morning. And so it is of our new birthright that we may please our Father. These are a wonderful, comforting words to us as Christian, as Christians. But we must understand something about them. We are to please the Lord, not to appease him. We may understand this idea in, in, in context or in illustration of our own obedience to our earthly parents. I had often uh, done what my parents had asked for in order to assuage their wrath or in order to avoid punishment. I wasn't necessarily seeking to please them. I was seeking to appease them with my obedience. But when I should have been obeying in order to please them. So to please the Lord is not to appease him. For the wrath of God has been satisfied on the cross. There is no longer any condemnation for those that are in Christ. We proclaim this. We rest in this. We hope in this. And yet scripture says we are to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. This idea that the child of light is to be a learner. The child of light wants to know what pleases the Lord. And so what does it mean to please the Lord? We know it's not to appease God. It's not to assuage his wrath for that was laid upon Christ. So what does it mean to please the Lord? To please God is to share in his blessedness. Again, for we know and rightly confess that we can add nothing to God, for there is no lack in him. God does not lack pleasure that we need to provide for him. The father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. God is not wanting something from us that he is lacking in. He gives from his infinite and eternal goodness and blessedness. And so scripture tells us we are to learn what pleases God. And so we are to share in his blessedness. What a wonderful blessing it is to be a child of light. That we get to experience the pleasure of our Lord. That we don't have to experience his wrath. We may as we walk according to the flesh, experience the discipline of the Lord, for he is a good father, he guides back into fellowship, who guides us back into fellowship with him. But here we are to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. This is the focus of the light, that we would seek to please and not appease the Lord. Again, I, I find it similar to my own parenting, where with my children, I, I want them to obey me, not because they fear me, or that they fear my wrath, or they fear my, the punishment that they may receive, but because they love me, and they want to please me, and because we share in, a, in this love with one another. This is the obedience I want from my children. So how much more, if we work from the lesser to the greater, when we think about pleasing the Lord, the love that we uh, dwell in, the love of God that we dwell in, 
the blessedness that he exists in. And and so as we walk in obedience, we get to participate in that blessedness and experience it as God's pleasure upon us. To share in his blessing is to bear his image. To walk in his ways. We see supremely that Christ is the one who experienced the pleasure of the Father greater than any man greater in his in his humanity experienced the pleasure of the father for it was the father's words that this is my son in whom i am well pleased and we are being conformed into his image into the image of the son so that we would share in his blessedness and i know we know this but it's always helpful to be reminded that god's pleasure The experience of God's pleasure is a gracious act. We do not walk as children of light and bear fruit of righteousness, goodness, and truth and earn something from God. We don't earn God's pleasure. God gives us graciously his pleasure. God's pleasure is a gracious act. We don't walk as children of light to earn something from God, for God has provided all things to us in Christ. The Heidelberg Catechism, question 62, I I think is helpful for us this morning. Why can't our good works be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of our righteousness? We all know sola fide, and we all know that we are saved by faith alone, but sometimes in the uh, confusion of uh, some teachers, they may teach sanctification by works. Instead of sanctification by faith alone, we go to Christ to be sanctified. We turn not to our own works to, to produce righteousness in us. So Heidelberg Catechism asks, why can't our good works be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of our righteousness? Because the righteousness which can pass God's judgment must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. But even our best works in this life are imperfect and stained with sin. How then, or how can our good works in question 63, how can our, question, how can our good works be said to merit nothing when God promises to, to reward them in this life and the next? The answer is that this reward is not earned. It is a gift of grace. And it is done not in our own power, but by the power of that light that brought everything into existence and upholds everything by the power of his word. That light who shone in the darkness of falling creation on that mountain in Jerusalem and caused all the and caused all to fall and worship the very sun covered its glory at his death and that light who was sent as flaming tongues upon the apostles to be spread through the preaching of the gospel and is now at work in every believer this is the source of the light This is the power of the light. This is to please the Lord, is to share in his blessedness. And though we haven't been taken out of darkness completely, for we still live in this world, and so we are subject to its system of wickedness, we 
have Satan, our adversary, prowling around like a lion seeking to devour whom he can. We have our own flesh, which is weak to temptation. And so we have been given the words by our Savior during his time here. And now he taught us to pray for deliverance. This comes in the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And do not lead us into into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Again, the Heidelberg Catechism asks, what does this sixth petition mean? And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil means by ourselves. We are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. We are to walk as children of light We are to bear the fruit of light, which consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We are to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And so we are to walk in his blessedness. We receive this all from God. We receive this all through our union with Christ. And so it is by that union we have assurance that Christ will uphold us and make us strong with the strength of his spirit. That he will not let us go down to defeat in this spiritual struggle, but he will cause us to firmly resist our enemies until we finally see him as he is, for we will be like him. And so we will receive the crown of victory, not as a crown of achievement or merit, but a crown of grace brought upon us by the God of grace. And in closing, let us consider the words of Peter. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. I pray that this short exhortation out of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians in chapter 5 would rest upon our ears this morning, clothed in the balm of grace given to us in the gospel of Christ Jesus, that we would be encouraged to walk as children of light as we saw in contrast to the works of darkness this morning, that we would seek to bear the fruit of light, and that ultimately our focus would be on pleasing the Lord, and that we receive his blessedness graciously, and that we in all things would give thanks to him. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks 
We thank you even for short words. We thank you that you work in all things. We pray, Lord, that as we go from here, that we would go and walk as children of light, that by your spirit we would bear the fruit of light. And, oh, Lord, that we would experience your pleasure, that wonderful blessedness that we have in Christ, that we would all experience this new birthright, that we who were once enemies of God, hostile to your will, have now been brought near, that we've been made children, and that we will receive on that day when you return, we will receive the consummation of all things. We will receive our Savior. We ask these things in his name. Amen.